Greetings, fellow travelers. The road to empowerment is paved with, well, that's what we're here to find out. And while we're at it, what about all those potholes? I'm your host, Marla Bolak. My guests and I are talking confidence, self-esteem, power, and more. Let's hit the road. Hello, I'd like to welcome our guest today, Dr. Benjamin Hardy, who is an organizational psychologist and best-selling author of Willpower Doesn't Work. From 2015 to 2018, he was the number one writer in the world on Medium.com. During that time, he grew his email list from zero to 400,000 subscribers without paid advertising. Ben and his wife, Lauren, adopted three children from the foster system in February 2018. And about one month, and one month later, Lauren got pregnant with twins who were born in December of 2018. They live in Orlando. Ben's blogs are read by millions monthly. Now, I, I want to talk a little bit about, before we get into it, um, Ben has a new book coming out soon on June 16th. I have already pre-ordered it. And there's a little bonus if you do, we'll talk a bit at the end of the, sh the episode about how you can do that too. The book is called Personality Isn't Permanent. It debunks the pervasive myths of personality that have captured pop culture. For example, personality tests like Myers-Briggs and Enneagram are not only psychologically destructive, but are no more scientific than horoscopes. Personality Isn't Permanent provides science-based strategies for reframing past memories, becoming the scribe of your identity narrative, upgrading your subconscious, 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 sorry, I'll just skip over that word, and redesigning your environment. Science proves you are going to change throughout your life. You might as well be intentional about that change. Welcome. I am excited to be here with you. It's going to be a blast. Likewise. I love, I, like I said, I've I've already read the intro, the first chapter, and a little bit of your book, and been all over your website. I love your stuff. I, we're about empowerment, and, and so are you. So I, I would like to talk a little bit about your, how trauma has affected, can affect your personality, and then how you can change that, how you can transform that trauma in, in an empowering way. And I don't know, do you want to just start chatting about that? Sure. Yeah. And then we'll see where this goes. Yeah. yeah so trauma uh, is very interesting. Um, we've all gone through traumatic experiences. Trauma is, and I'm speaking mostly of emotional trauma. I'm, I'm talking about uh, you know, an emotional trauma could come from a physically traumatic experience, like a car accident or something. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm just talking about any negative experience that shaped you. Uh, usually a negative experience happens. And then what happens is, is you have an emotional reaction to the situation. Mm -hmm. and, yep. and then what happens is, is that you don't get alternative perspectives. So there's a, there's a quote from Peter Levine. Peter is one of the top trauma experts in the world. And he said that trauma isn't what happens to you. It's what you hold inside in the absence of an empathetic witness. Oh, interesting. So it's not what, it's not what happens to you. It's what you hold inside in the absence of an empathetic witness. And so usually 
you know, when, when something negative happens, it's nice to have supportive, encouraging people around to help you what's called emotionally regulate where you can overcome the emotion. Um, but what often happens is, is that you have a negative experience, you have this hard reaction to it, but then you don't reframe that reaction. You actually just suppress it. You ignore it. And then what happens is, is that something forms called a cognitive commitment. That cognitive commitment is basically a statement. You know, it's, it's a story that forms in your mind because of it. So you, you form an identity around that experience, like life is hard or this is terrible or, you know, so one, one line of the research in trauma, um, there's trauma, trauma research everywhere, but one f- interesting aspect is, is research on math trauma. Uh, math, math, M-A-T-H? Yeah, math. Basically, most high school and, and junior high kids in America have what's called math trauma. And basically what happens is, is that at some point or another in their life, they have an experience, such as maybe someone tells them they're not good at math, they fail a right. test, they have some hard experience, and it, it pains them emotionally. Like they, they hit some ceiling where, you know, it's just either too hard or they're told they can't do it and they believe it and they form a narrative that says, I, I, this is as good as I'm going to get at math. I can't do this anymore. So there's, there's a few. So basically what happens is, is when you have a traumatic experience, if it's not reframed, if you don't have an empathetic or a supportive person, you know, in the, per, in the case of math, an empathetic witness, maybe a teacher or a coach that says, uh, you, you can break through this. We just need, you know, this is a failure or this is, you know, this is, this is you learning. Like just because you failed the test doesn't mean you can't keep going. But so you need a lot of encouragement and support um, to help you get over the thing. But if you don't have that, which often happens, right? you know, or you keep it secret. You know, there's a quote in Alcoholics Anonymous that says you're as sick as your secrets, you know? And so obviously, so what happens is, is, you know, like, let's just say some, something very bad happens, you know, like, you know, sexual abuse or something like that. And you don't, you don't share it. You keep it internalized. You keep it, you know, secret. Then what usually happens is that trauma turns into addiction or it turns into other coping mechanisms because you haven't resolved the pain. And, and so basically what they say is, is that your, your personality gets frozen. It gets stuck in the past and every current situation gets tainted by the negative trauma. So, so tra- yeah, go ahead. Sorry. So, so this is so interesting, especially the math thing. I've always, I love math and I always couldn't, I could never understand why people like didn't under were, I guess, didn't like it in, in my mind. It's like, they just, just didn't seem to have, a, I can't do it. And to me, it's, some math is quite easy. And, and I know that these people are, that are saying this are intellectually capable of doing it. And I also like 100%. that. As in, yeah. I will, and you know, maybe higher math is harder, but they're even at the easiest things. And I also like that example, cause it's sort of, it's, you know, a sexual trauma is very charged. We think of it that way. In math, I never thought of it as being emotionally charged. Yeah, it is. I mean, basically, any experience that you have that, again, negatively impacts your identity. And, and then, you know, so there's a good quote. There's a separate quote from Robert Brault. But Robert Brault said, we are kept from our goals not by obstacles, but by a clear path to lesser goals. And so the idea is, is that you have some goal and you hit an obstacle, you know, you hit a ceiling and then you don't, you know, you internalize it in a negative way. And then, and then basically what happens with trauma is, is that it destroys your imagination and creativity. And so, um, 
once you, it, 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 the experience is such that you form a narrative that you no longer can do this. Like this is your cap or I can't do this anymore. And so then rather than pursuing through the obstacles, you pursue a path, a clear path to a lesser goal. And so as it, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I, I was just going to say, so getting back to, so a trauma forms and you don't have an empathetic witness. So, and a lot of, or, you, or you either don't have an empathetic witness or you don't have the emotional capability to just regulate it yourself. Right. Which is a lot of children. I mean, I personally had a pretty traumatic childhood and I always thought that, well, you know, when I hit 18, I'm out of here and my troubles are over and come to find out that real, it wasn't even close to the truth. So I, and over the years, I've learned how to do a lot of things and get rid but I, what the point is, if you can't, don't have that empathetic witness or a way to deal with that trauma at the time and things happen, you may become an addict in your case with, or you decide you're not good at math. How do you then later on say, wait a minute, I can transform this. And then how? There's, there's very effective, very powerful ways to do it. And you can get to the point emotionally and just with your own confidence that you can reshape, you can reshape former. I mean, there's so much great research on, Mm -hmm. on memory and about how memory really works. So most people think that memory is like a filing cabinet and that every time you pull up a memory, it's the same every time. The truth about memory is, is that every time you pull up a memory, it actually changes. Um, it, it integrates aspects of your current context, your current emotional situation, um, what you're thinking about, who you're with when you pull up the memory, how you explain the story. And so memory is very flexible. The challenge with traumatic memories is that they, um, they're often not thought of. They're, they're avoided. And, so, and they're, they're deeply emotionally charged still. Um, Right. They're, they're, they're stuck, again, with the initial emotional reaction that occurred. So the event could have happened 10, 15 years ago, and the emotions tied to the memory are still based on the initial reaction, which could have been, obviously was negative. Um, and so a key, a key thing to know about memory is that you, you always reconstruct the memory based on your present mindset, your present perspective. So there's a quote from Stephen Covey. Stephen Covey said, we don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. So we don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. We see it through our own perceptual lens. And that's true of the past. We don't see the past as it is. We see the past as we are. And so it's important to realize that your view of the past is not objective. It's actually your current view. And I think that what's great about this is that I think all of us have had experiences that have allowed us to rethink former experiences. Like, you know, one experience for me is, for an example, when I started having kids, it made me look at my parents differently. Like maybe I was a little more critical of my parents back in the day. Once I started having kids, I'm like, oh, wow. Like I can understand now that they did the best that they could. You know, like right. yeah. you, ha- when you have experiences that then change the meaning of former experiences. Um, that's, that's pretty. So, ins- yeah. And so how would you do that intentionally? And that's a lot of, um, I yeah, mean, a was- lot, your work totally resonates with what I'm trying to accomplish. So I'm a little yeah, bit tongue-tied with like really the, the intentionality, how do you intentionally change your perceptions? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I want to explain one more principle and then I'm going to explain. Sorry, okay. the, the, no, 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 no. This is, I, there's a, there's one other under, there's one other thing you need to understand as it relates to memory and perspective that once mm-hmm. you understand 
then you can learn how to effectively do this. And, and there are effective ways such as journaling. And we'll go into these like journaling, uh, talking to people, <laughs> you know? And so there's just one other concept I want to explain as it relates to memory, because it really shows you how to change perception. And, and so I'm going to tell it to you through a story and then I'm going to then walk us through this. So this, so it's a very short story. So my, my mother-in-law, and by the way, this one isn't in the book, but it would be great if it was. <laughs> but you, you, learn, you learn things after the book is done. Put um, in the next book. <laughs> I might. I actually seriously might. So anyways, my mother-in-law was recently in the gym, and she was working out, and there was a very overweight woman in the gym. And this woman was very overweight, and she was wearing very tightly fitted gym clothes. And, a lot, and my mother-in-law was just noticing that a lot of people were kind of making judgmental you know it was just tough because like it's a, it's a different situation you don't see this every day like this woman was very overweight and it was just kind of she was wearing very revealing clothing anyways my mother-in-law happened to be working out next to this woman like on machines and they ended up having a conversation and my mother-in-law found out that over the last several months like six or so months this woman has actually lost 150 pounds wow wow so my question for you is does that inf do you think that that information changed how my my mother-in-law saw this woman I do. How so? Well, I think that a lot of people look at, in any situation, but, but particularly when they're overweight, that it's their fault, that they're lazy, that they eat too much, that they're not doing what they need to do to, um, it's their fault, basically, for being fat. And I think that once she found out she had lost 150 pounds, well, this woman is clearly working on it. And doing what she can to change the situation no matter totally. how she happened to get there yeah yeah so from one instance to another in the midst of that mm -hmm. conversation my mother-in-law went from potentially a little bit judgmental yeah. to very inspired like uh, like think about it. like you find out this woman's lost 150 pounds she's in there and going to the gym you're like my mother-in-law was so inspired she went and started telling everyone about it like she's like did you know this woman's lost 150 pounds wow um and so the interesting thing is is how did the perspective shift so fast from potentially judgmental to inspired? Um, it's not the content that changed. She was looking at the same woman. It was right. the context. And, and so you need to understand that context always shapes the meaning of content. And so a big problem that people have often with looking at memories, especially memories, one of the challenges with either traumatic memories or just painful experiences that have shaped you you know, and you, I understand, I know you'll know this because you talk a lot about the victim mentality, yeah. but from a victim mindset, you're viewing the experience very dogmatically and very rigidly. And you're focusing on the content. You're saying this happened to me, yeah. therefore I'm this way. You're not actually viewing the context and you're actually not changing the context because when you change the context of an experience, you actually will change the meaning of the experience. And so it's key when you're thinking about changing memories or changing a narrative to focus on the context rather than the content. And when you change the context, you'll actually change the meaning of the content. So now I'll explain to you how that works. <laughs> um, okay, okay, but can I ask a quick question? Yeah, first? yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, is, is that the same as reframing or is there something different? A hundred percent, it's the same thing. Okay, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, like when, when, some, when, when someone reframes a bad day to a good day, they're just changing their view of it. They're saying- the context. Yeah, context. they're just saying, oh, there's a great day. Like that's changing the context. It's, we're still looking at the same day, you yeah. know? It's, it could be cloudy or it could be snowy, but you're like, this is great. I'm loving this, you know? Um, yeah. And so that changes the meaning of it. Context is all about meaning. And 
And so you can't understand the meaning of something without knowing the context of it. And so it's all about understanding and shaping meaning. And so what, what Harvard, the Harvard psychologist Ellen Langer said is, is that, you know, who we are is always based on the context we're in, but who shapes the context? The more mindful you become, the more you shape the context. And when you shape the context, then you can change. Um, and so anyways, that's, you know, the woman in that story, you know, her, our perception of this woman, or at least my mother-in-law's perspective, completely changed with a little extra context, a yeah. little bit of extra. And so anyways, as it relates now to yourself or whoever's listening to this, mm -hmm. think about, first off, you have to think about the experience and realize that your current view is just one view. And that with a little bit more context, that view could change. And um, hopefully, as you grow and develop as a person, you actually have more context of life and of situations and, and why things happen the way they do. When you're right. a seven-year-old kid, if something happens to you, you don't really understand much. You're just like, why is this happening to me? You know? And there's um, not much you can do about it. No, there's not much you can do about it. And so a really important thing to consider is, is that your current self is probably different from your former self. You know, like you as a person yeah. are probably not the same person you were five or 10 years ago. Hopefully no. your views are better than they were five or 10 years ago and you have a little bit more perspective and understanding. And hopefully. so yeah, I, hopefully I can say the same about myself too. Yeah. Like the British philosopher Landy Button said, if you're not embarrassed by who you were 12 months ago, you didn't learn enough. Um, Ooh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. So anyways, I think when you're journaling as one example and you want to journal about these experiences, journaling is a great safe tool because um, you can just think about it, write about it. It's a really good tool for what's called emotional regulation, just regulating your emotions. So you want to think about it and by exposing yourself to it, even just in your journal, when you expose yourself to something, you start to neutralize the emotions. It's like when you, you know, if you face a fear enough, you start to make it less emotional. You're scared of it less. Like eventually you can kill the novelty so that the emotion drops. And that's so, kind of, yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm not quite sure I understand. So when you, if you're journaling about a particular experience and yes. just by the act of, of writing about it and I, well, I so, so here's what you would do is you would ask yourself questions mm -hmm. as an example, you're writing or thinking about an experience yep. and this is where the empathetic witness could come in as well. And that's another way of doing it. Um, sometimes journaling is a safer way to do it or even a, a different tool. Talking to someone about an experience and journaling about it are two ways of doing things and they actually produce slightly different results. They're both very effective and I would actually recommend both because what you can do in your journal is different than obviously what you could do in a conversation. But one really great way of doing this is, is actually asking yourself questions that would allow you to think about the situation differently. Just as one example, like how would, how would someone else have viewed this, you know, this experience, you know, how would my, maybe my future self view this experience? How would someone who's really emotionally resilient view this experience? Or like, you know, how would, how would the person who, how, how was, how, what was the other person seeing? You know, it's just literally, you're just trying to see the person, totally different perspectives and just thinking about it like what would what and then even another way of looking at this is what are all the benefits that I've actually gotten from this experience how is my life better because of this experience it's just literally ask it's looking at the same thing from a million different angles um, and just journaling about it and thinking about it in different ways rather than just thinking that it's the only way you know yeah I like to I mean one of my I guess credos I you would say is that everything that happens to you happens for you and so then how can you use this experience, even if it was in the past, to propel yourself forward? And for me, a lot of times the answer is resolving it, healing and growing it. And um, 
again, it fits in with a lot of the things you're saying. And I, you're going to like I, when you, you're going to like that as you get further in the book, you're going to see that quote maybe 10 times. Maybe you five. have some really good quotes. I love the one. About no, you're going to love it. No, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to like the, uh, you're, you're going to see that that comes up a lot. And really oh. ultimately the more emotionally developed you become as a person, the more emotionally mature and the more you then become intentional about the future, the more that that's how your past needs to be framed. Because oh. the more, the more mature you get, the more your past is information you can use, not emotion that's driving you. Uh, if it's, oh. if it's, if it's unneutralized emotion and it hasn't been reframed, then you're still being impacted by the negative emotion from the initial experience. But if you've become more mature and if you've dealt with it, if you've thought about it, if you've, if you've reframed it as a positive experience, then, then it's, it's information you can use and you can look at it and you can explain it. Again, this is now shaping the narrative of it. As you explain it, you can say, yeah, this thing was hard, but it like, because of this, I've been able to do this, this, and this. Therefore this, this event or this experience happened for me, not to me. If it happened to you, then you're still, the victim to it, right. right? Like you're still blaming it and you're still viewing it from a very limited perspective. But if you get more context, more perspective and are intentional about using the past as propellant to making better decisions in the future, learning from your past, in other words, and right. like <laughs> taking your hard experiences and saying, I'm no longer going to tolerate that kind of stuff. I'm going to live a much better life because I went through that. Then the past becomes a powerful tool for helping you have a better future. I love it. And, um, Okay, and you literally me. can change your memories, like 100%. Well, and I've, I, I don't know if you've watched ever, what, you probably haven't. There's a show called Brain Games, and they, it shows a lot about how your brain works in an entertaining way. And one, one of the things is about memory, and I have read some things, not you know, so much scholarly, but how you, you access, it's like certain pieces of that memory are in their impressions, and you're always reassembling them every time you access it so yes um and you can integrate elements even emotions or stories into the memory to make it a to make it a positive one to make it something you can use rather than something that's using you you know and then so i guess this would be the next step where you you do that and then it as it goes back in these impressions go are stored in your brain somewhere they're modified and next time you go to access them bam is that, yeah. is it's that, less, it's less, it's neutralized and it's viewed a certain way. I mean, it's important to realize your again, your current identity and your current self and your current emotional level is the lens through which you're viewing your past. And so if you're still negatively charged towards your past, that says more about the current version of you than it says about whatever occurred in the past. Um, you know, and that's, that's kind of, kind of, that can be a tough pill to swallow for a lot of people because if you're still traumatized and if you're not, if you haven't resolved it and reframed it, then, you know, then you genuinely do feel like the thing that you genuinely do feel like the victim to that experience. And, and this isn't to take away from the fact that it, it, it hurt you. It's taking away from the fact that your current view of it is based on your view whenever it occurred and that you need to reframe it. And if you want to get moving your life forward. <laughs> Well, what I like about that is the power is all within you to do that. You, once you start looking at things this way, that it's how you're viewing it, and it's your, then then you have the power to change your perspective. And it might, for some people, it might maybe more difficult. For me, it's taken a lot. <laughs> I have a lot of resistance somehow, and uh, even though Why I've not? always been very growth oriented, it's just things have. I have, I've had to do a lot of work and I still have more to do, but 
once you know, I mean, really know that you can, that this is, it's not so much what's out there. I mean, there's definitely things out there, right? That things that really happened when you were beaten or whatever happened to you happened yeah. or is happening, but that you can, it's how the power, your power is how, what you do with that. It's kind of what you said right at the beginning. Yeah. I mean, I'll give a very simple example about proactively shaping the meaning of a memory. So like recently my, my kids went to our neighbors and they were out doing yard work different type of normal it was it was like they were using like power tools and like axes like because Ow. like our neighbors have like this huge yard and my boys my two boys wanted to go because they love that stuff and when i picked them up a few hours later it's like how was it you know and they love this this family because there's tons of boys and they were out eating pizza and like just it was like the kind of yard work that they love doing and they got to jump on the tramp so anyways, <laughs> while driving home, I was like, you know, tell me about it. And like the first little bit, it was like all positive. But then one of them was like, well, yeah, but there was, I didn't really like this, you know, I, and, and then they started complaining a little bit off each other. And I, I told them, guys, I just want you to realize that if you start going down this negative path, you are literally going to remember this experience as a negative one. So now you get to choose the positive. Well, 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 no, it's just like, look, you guys can start complaining about the day and about being at the Morrison's. But the fact is, is it was a freaking amazing day. And if you want to start complaining about it, then you're going to remember this experience as a negative day. Do you, what was it really a negative day? Right. And they're like, no, I'm like, so why are you starting to form a negative memory about it? Interesting. Right. It's like, you got to be aware that as you explain things, you know, you're telling the story. And if you're, if you begin, you know, you get to choose how you see it. Like, and like, right. and by helping my kids in the moment realize, it's like, why are you complaining? Like, you just got to spend the whole day at the Morrison's. Would you have rather been at home, like reading a book? Like, <laughs> I mean, like reading a book's great, but like sometimes our kids like want to go out and play. These are boys that are really active. And it's like, right. what if we had, you know, what if you've been working all day? Like, again, it's the same thing as like, it's like, it's like that quote that it's like, I cried when I had no shoes until I saw the person that had no feet. You know, it's like, yeah, that's part of perspective changing is like realizing, wow, like it could have been way worse or, you know, it actually, I actually got a lot out of that. Like, you know, or it actually was a great day and I don't know why I'm complaining about it. Like, um, <laughs> and so I, it's just really being aware of how you're coding your experiences and being intentional about coding your experiences and then being intentional about recoding your former experiences. Um, and the more you do this, the more flexible you become in your identity, the more flexible you become in the future. Um, and that's really what this is about. When, you, when you're traumatized and when you, you know, one, a few of the challenges with unreframed negative experiences is that they lead to a lot of emotional rigidity. You become very, you become rigid in, in the emotions you're willing to deal with. That's why mm. you generally lead to unhealthy coping mechanisms because if something gets hard or difficult or if something, you know, triggers the past, you become rigid in what you're willing to deal with and you don't regulate it. And then you, uh, you do something, you know, unhealthy, essentially, um, long-term right. unhealthy to, you know, so you become emotionally rigid, but also you become very dogmatic and black and white, not only in how you see that event, but in how you see yourself, because, you know, you, you view yourself from that perspective and you're not flexible in how you see yourself or the world. And so it leads to an unwillingness to see things from different perspectives and an unwillingness to be flexible towards future experiences. It limits your future. It limits your imagination. It limits what you're willing to do and be because you're so stuck in a single view that was very painful, but hasn't been fixed. And so 
you know, this is one of the key drivers of people's personality. Like it's, it's, it's one of the key things that, you know, is leading people to acting and behaving in the ways that they do. It's, it's very interesting. And it's, it's one of the reasons why we should be empathetic towards other people, but it's also just interesting how limited our current imagination and our current confidence and flexibility is. And our, and, 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 and it's also interesting maybe how dogmatically we're forcing ourselves to view ourselves. Um, when if you're flexible, first off, you'll realize that your current self is a different person than your former self. And right. you'd be able to see the growth and development and change that's occurred. And you'd be able to maybe be a little bit more empathetic towards your former self and understand where they were coming from in their situation, in their context, and about how maybe they, you know, it's understandable why they saw things that the way they did, but you don't have to see them that way anymore. Um, but also right. it's important to realize that your future self is someone very different from your current self. Your future self hopefully has a more mature perspective. Hopefully they have better goals, better values, and, you know, a clean, you know, better perception and that they can make better decisions than you have. They have maybe have more freedom. And so if you, if you realize that, and then you be, start becoming intentional about who that future self is and working towards them, then you can hold your current identity a little bit more loosely. You don't have to be as dogmatic in how you view yourself. You don't have to hold so tightly to various labels. Um, and you don't, you know, and you can also realize that your future self is going to be different. So you can let go of certain ideas that maybe aren't serving you. So what would you say to the person uh, that is all fantastic. And I look back and I definitely, cause I'm always working and, and changing. Totally. And I, one of my things, and, and I've had some health challenges and I look back, well, I'm better than I was five years ago, one year. And I, I do that, that I find that really helpful. But what would you say? Cause I do run into people who are stuck, have been stuck and they go back 10 years and it, there is no change to just like bring them back farther. I mean, there is, is first, some change. There is some change. Dig, dig, dig to find that change. Be, because, well, no. Yeah, go ahead. Continue. Sorry. Oh, because we say that's, yeah, I'm just looking for ways to help that, that maybe I can help people. Totally, totally, totally. Um, or maybe a listener will hear this. And so, and, and say, well, so you say there is some change. And that's why I say, do you, how would you, find that because if someone is in, in, in a place where they are rigid and inflexible and insistent, perhaps. Um, yeah. So of one of the, yeah, no, no, no. so there's, there's lots of good things to do here. So first things first, yes, change is much more slow. Obviously if you're um, not being proactive about dealing with the past and also seeking the future, um, but change will occur. Like if you were to ask this person, do you believe that you're the exact same person you were 10 years ago? In some instances, you actually might hear someone say yes, <laughs> but in most you would hear, you would hear they no. They would say no. Like, yeah. yeah, in most instances, they would say, like, especially like, just because life happens, you know, and, ch and change happens, you know, like, you can't live through 10 years without absorbing some things. Yes, right. trauma stops you from absorbing a lot of things because you're so caught up in the past but you're going to absorb some things and you're going to see some things different. Your preferences are going to change, honestly, just due to role changes and also due to aging and due to situational changes. Like a lot of, a lot of those things just change your perception and so, and your preferences. And, and, um, and so they, I think asking them, you know, what changes do you see in yourself from where you were now to where you were maybe 10 years ago is, is a good place to start. Um, 
I've only actually heard one person say that they thought that they were the same person. <laughs> I haven't <laughs> asked same. anybody that, but yeah, no, but usually, but what's interesting is, is I was talking to two people, two friends. And one of them was like, I'm the exact same guy I was 10 years ago. And his friend was like, no, you're not like, he, he's like, you used to be like, so like this way, but now you've really softened up. You know what I mean? So like yeah, yeah, what, what, the, what the, what the research in psychology shows is that uh, like, let's just say you take a personality test and like 10 years later you take that test you're going to have a very different score. The longer the gap between the tests, the, 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 the bigger, the less correlated those tests will be. Uh -huh. um, and so, and also if you take tests in different environments or under different conditions, you'll actually get different scores as well. This is one of the reasons why most personality tests are not scientific and not valid because they're not, they're not consistent. Um, right. They're very deep. Yeah, I know that neither you nor I are fans of those. I think they're fun, but I, you don't put people in four boxes the whole yeah. world population. This, I yeah, just totally. No, 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 anyway, totally. Sorry. No, but, um, but the big change, the big challenge is not actually that people haven't changed. It's that their perspective habit hasn't changed. And so that's, and so like, as an example, what, you know, Ellen Langer, she's a Harvard psychologist. She's found mm -hmm. that when people have over adopted a certain label, like let's just even say depressed. If someone views themselves as depressed, then what they do is, is they're mindless or they're not, they don't acknowledge or they don't even pay attention to all of the times when they actually weren't feeling depressed. Like in a given day, they may have several moments where they feel fine or even great. But because, you know, because we see the world through our identity, we, we go into tunnel vision mode. Labels actually create tunnel vision. It's one of the reasons right. why like therapists say that the, uh, diagnoses are really good for therapists to guide the therapy, but they're really bad to give to clients because then the client takes the label adopts it into their identity and then they then they have tunnel vision and they they that's how they right. see the world is through that label um and so the big challenge for most people is is that they still see themselves the same way even though they've actually changed it, it's 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 very much like when you like for myself for example it's easy for me to be lazy in how i see my my kids like my 12 year old son for example um like because he's like super hyperactive and stuff, I may think he's always that way, even though, and I'll downplay the times when he's actually like matured right. a lot and stopped being that way. And so I might see him the same way as I did four years ago when actually, and I'll downplay the fact that he's actually changed a lot. He's grown a lot. And so we can be really mindless of the changes that have actually occurred in our worldview is the thing that hasn't evolved. And I, I think that's a, a lot of, that, that can be applied in a lot of ways. It's that seek and ye shall find. It's what you're looking for. If you're looking for things that are going to, um, I'm at, I can't think of the word, um, but what you think you'll think more of. Yeah. I mean, you kind of, you know, what they call it is you kind of confirm your own bias, you know? Thank you. That was, yeah. The confirmation yeah. bias thing. Yeah. 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 So what, 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 what I would in, you know, recommend for a person who's maybe been quite stuck for a long time is to, I mean, one of the big things that you want to do, and I think this is true of anyone, whether you've been stuck for a long time or not stuck, is to really think about what you genuinely want, like what you would choose if you could have it, um, what you would absolutely love to have or who you would love to be or what, what, what you really want. And ask yourself, like, why aren't, why aren't you pursuing that? Like, why aren't you becoming that person that you genuinely want to be? Um, and usually there will be, you know, if, if you were to ask that to someone, then they would go into the story mode about why, you know, all of these things happened to me. Um, right. 
You know what I mean? Um, But, but what's really powerful, and this goes back to the idea of future self and living with intention and then starting to build confidence and flexibility is Mm -hmm. if you take the time and, and usually with some people who are in a tough spot, you need to be quite soft with them. But if you're, if you start to become a little bit more confident yourself, um, and start to become more serious and committed about just moving your life in a direction you want. You want to start to really conceptualize, think about, um, and define who your future self is. Like that, that's, that's important. And what the research shows is that it's really good to view that person as a different person from your current self because they are different. They've got a different situation and things like that. So once you, and, and you really want to start with identity. So like, that's why rather than starting with goals, you start with identity. Who is the person you want to become? What is their situation? What are they like? What are their attributes? Um, what's their situation? What are they doing? Once you've conceptualized that, then you can form a narrative or a story because identity is shaped through stories and it would take courage. But if yeah. you start telling people about what you genuinely want and about who you genuinely want to become, if you start telling people about that, I, I, what I find is, is that people are scared to tell others, especially like their friends or family, what they truly want, because obviously that might jeopardize the relationship or it might, you know, like it, it might it might lead to people saying, well, why aren't you doing it? You know, like, or, right. why, or, or <laughs> yeah. what's going on, you know? And, and it, so it forces a level of accountability or, or, or you don't want to tell people that you're, you're, you want to do this because you're afraid of what they might think if you don't make it or if you right. fail, that's, that's a big aspect of the fixed mindset, which is also very similar to trauma. It's the belief that you can't do something and it leads to what's called a really fragile identity. You're too scared to try something and fail. Uh, you're worried about what people think. So it's really powerful to first off genuinely conceptualize and think about what you would genuinely want if you weren't worried about what other people thought and if you weren't worried about failing and if you were just to truly go for it and to think about it and to be that person. It doesn't matter if you get to the highest level, it's just that you're being the person you wanna be. And then you turn your narrative into that where you start telling people that that's who you are. Um, that, that then leads to a really congruent sense of identity. Um, rather than having an identity confusion, then you're being kind of a lot more clear and over time, you'll feel like this sense to need to be more consistent to it. Um, and obviously, if you have a clear future self in mind, then you can start living intentionally on a daily basis. You're not going to be fully intentional. Um, you know, what the research says, and I think this is pretty much true, is that your unconscious is like 95%, you know, right. of what your behavior is. And so we're on autopilot, like a lot of the day, like just kind of going through our habits and things like that. But if, you, if you're intentional about your future self and if you're thinking about that and if you're telling people about it and if you're more acting towards it, then on a daily basis, you can live more consciously, not unconsciously. And if you're spending more time consciously acting and, and moving towards your future self, you're going to have experiences called peak experiences that open you up. And those experiences are the ones that allow you to be more flexible, not only about yourself and your future, but also about your past. And so it's, it's really key to begin to not only think about who you generally want to be, but begin moving in that direction, even if it's small steps daily, because those things help you build confidence and flexibility, which also not only help you in your future, but help you be a lot more flexible and imaginative and also learning towards your past. And so it's, it's key. Wow. So um, we're going to have to wind this down. I do want to talk a little bit about your book. I mean, I like getting into the subconscious and then what about, you have to set expectations for other people who are going to see you change and you don't set their expectations, but that's going to, you be can, very- you actually need to, and well, I'll, 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 I'll give an, I'll, let me give an example. Like, for into example that one. <laughs> well, the people who are, who are going to be impacted, you know, like, yeah, you might not. I mean, yeah. If you're going to make a big change in the future and if you're going to 
really become that person, it's going to impact certain people. I'll give an example. Like when I first got married to my wife, I told, I had to create some expectations. Like I'm going to pursue some things that are a little unconventional. Like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. I'm going to probably try to do X, Y, and Z. I'm going to try to become a writer, et cetera. Um, and so she's like, whoa, like this is, so there's, there's like a lot of uncertainty involved right. in your future. Right. And I'm like, right. yes. Um, and, and so like, even now I've had to, like over the last six months, I've had to, I've started to really get clear on my future self and like two, three, four years from now and where I want to be and who I want to, and I'm going to make some pretty big pivots from who I am right now. Um, oh. as far as like where I'm focusing my time and, and, and really where I'm putting my attention and what I'm valuing, like a big aspect of personality is a few things. One is it's what you prefer your preferences, mm -hmm. and also it's what you tolerate. And if you think about your former self, especially if you've gone through some growth, there's probably things that you don't prefer that you used to prefer. You know, like there's, your preferences have maybe changed a little bit. I will also say that your future self probably has different preferences than your current self. <laughs> um, Makes sense. I, I can, ex you know, but also your current self probably doesn't tolerate certain things that you used to just be okay with. Maybe you used to be okay watching five hours of TV a day, but now you're like, you're like, I, I, I wouldn't be able to do that anymore. Like to me, I just can't, I don't feel right about that anymore or whatever. Like, so your tolerances can change over time as well. Um, but anyways, I, I had to tell my wife about kind of this, this future self slash plan that I have. And obviously it would impact her and our kids. And like, right. initially she was like, I don't know if I want that. <laughs> Um, Whoa. and like, we're, 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 we're a team, by the way, like it wasn't my idea to get three foster kids when we did it. Like <laughs> she brought that up and I'm like, okay, obviously that's going to radically impact my future and myself, but like, but we're a team and like, we're, and I actually break this down in the book about marrying for purpose, not personality, but, um, you know, cool. marrying for joint vision. Um, but, but anyways, um, you do have to, you do have to explain yourself to some people. And I think that that's actually right. healthy. Again, one of the big problems that people have is, is that they don't vocalize themselves. That's what leads to either trauma or a fixed mindset or weird narratives. Like if you start to get better at vocalizing what your plans are and what you're going to do, especially to keep people, then you're, you start to believe it more and you start to put things in motion and you start to create an environment and start to create relationships that can move you where you want to go rather than keeping it all in your head because you either don't want to fail or you're too worried about what people think or you're not willing to go through the adjustment processes that are involved. And so if you start yeah. explaining it and getting people on board that are relevant towards your future um, and start moving in that direction, then you can start becoming that person. Yeah, I personally am reticent about sharing that specifically with certain people because I worry about their judgment and how that impacts me. And now- What would happen though if you weren't worried about their judgment? Exactly. I mean, <laughs> then I wouldn't, worry. wouldn't it be more authentic? What I mean, if, yes. if you're worried about telling people, these people, particularly what you truly want, then the relationship may not be as congruent or authentic. You know, obviously you like aspects of this relationship, but if you can't be who you truly want to be because right. of this relationship, you know, well, so some, they, these people deserve to know who you really want to be. And yeah. that might mean that the relationship's going to change. Well, some things are a little bit, complicated but for the most part they're all complicated yeah. <laughs> there are a lot of things are complicated but i will have to keep that in mind so um i i i could talk to you for hours but i want to again get to your book and i know you're gonna probably have something to do in a few minutes and no 
I'll, I'll, uh, we've been talking about my book the whole time. <laughs> this okay. whole this whole conversation no, like where, has been about, where people yeah. can get it, and I'll put sure. it in the Do you want me to talk about that notes. right now, or what would would that be the best thing to talk about right now? Yeah, and then if we if you want to continue afterwards, that that would be great with me. I I have the time, um, but I want to let people. I don't want to get to a point where it's like oh, yep. we've got to go and not. And again, it will be yeah, in the show I appreciate notes. that. Yeah. So what we've been talking about, everyone, is personalities and permanent. It's a book that comes out in June. Um, you may or may not be hearing this conversation around that time or a little after or before. But, no, they will. Um, it's a bit early. This, perfect. Perfect. So, yeah, this, this book comes out right at June 16th. And um, it's pretty controversial and it's very empowering and it kind of blows up a lot of the myths. And it's really based on a lot of interesting and cool science, lots of powerful stories. Um, but it, what it will do is it'll explain to you why you are who you are. Um, and it mm -hmm. will then, then give you the tools to ultimately intentionally design who you want to be and become that person. It'll also help you reframe the past um, and ultimately become the narrator of your own story. Um, but only, not only that, not only the narrator of your own identity, but to you know, actually become that person. Um, there's so much really cool science about how personality develops, how it changes, uh, how it can change. And modern culture or pop culture has really incorrect views about right. personality and about what's possible. Um, and so this book will rock your world. Uh, you can kind of get it anywhere you want, Audible, Barnes, Amazon, and, it, and you can learn more about it on uh, benjaminhardy.com. There, there we go. And so that, and in fact, if you go to your website, there's a page. It might be on the front page where you can pre-order it, and because you will still have time to pre-order it, and then get a little goodie like I did. Yeah, there's well, and even more goodies are being shaped now. So we'll All make right. sure you get those as well. All right. Um, and I have started reading it and looked at your looked at some of your stuff, and I'm very excited. I would add to your bio iconoclast because it's you know what you just said is you're you're bust, busting down you didn't say it this way so inarticulately, but things that a lot of things in pop culture are wrong. I I shake my head at so many things that I see, and I'm not even a tra trained like you are, but just it doesn't make sense taking wishful thinking and, you know, calling that, you know, putting some labels on it, the labeling things is, I really think is counterproductive. And I just think it's great work. And I'm really, I'm so excited that you came and we can put you on this episode and have more people hear you. Um, Thank you. But, I'm excited and uh, looking forward to it and grateful to be on this show and uh, loved this conversation. And uh, maybe we'll have another one in the near future. Maybe because I would love to hear about the subconscious and how to upgrade that. <laughs> Which would I can give you a couple quick notes on that real quick if you want before we end. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so subconscious, it's important to realize that your subconscious is you on autopilot. So your subconscious is you it's really a core reflection of your current self and also your former self. It does not reflect your future self. And so when you begin imagining and think about who you want to be, uh, in order to become that person, you're going to actually have to act differently than you used to. <laughs> um, but your subconscious is really emotionally driven. Um, just as an example, like if you have the habit of looking at your smartphone, you know, and like, it's just something that we're often addicted to. 
Uh, or when you walk in the kitchen, you might, you know, be triggered to go and open up the fridge and eat the same food over and over. Like those things are subconscious um, right. behaviors that are really emotionally driven. So what, what happens is when I look at my phone, the reason I do it is because it triggers the emotions that my body has become accustomed to feeling. Your physical body is your subconscious. Um, and so your physical body is, uh, it's, it's an emotional machine. You know, we, we release chemicals all the time. Like, you know, right. when, when you look at your phone or when you eat food, drops a lot of dopamine throughout your system. Um, and so you've got to realize that the behaviors you're doing are to produce emotions that your body has become accustomed to. Um, huh. and so when you start, and so when you start doing new behaviors, they're going to produce new emotions and your body's going to try to revert back and get you back. That's why, you know, you're, they say you're subconsciously sabotaging yourself because you're trying to get back to your frame of emotional homeostasis. Right. Um, and so there are things that you can do to very powerfully shatter your subconscious and up level it so that it's at the level of your future self so that your future self becomes your new normal. Um, and so some of those things, obviously one of which is first off, you have to, you have to know what that future self is. And, um, you know, you begin, if, if you begin telling people who you're planning on being just that act alone, um, would send a powerful signal to your subconscious, just you starting to it. tell people who you're going to be. Yeah, you hear it, but you're also telling other people and they're hearing it. And so it's, it's, it's literally reframing in a lot of ways your system. Um, obviously acting towards your future self, like literally any action that's like a reflection of, of who you plan to be, any intentional or courageous action. Um, so they call it self-signaling in psychology, but it signals back, you know, self-signaling basically means that we, we evaluate ourselves based on our actions. And so if you begin doing something, you know, like for example, when I really wanted to start becoming a writer and I started blogging, not only did I see myself writing, but like I was doing it. And so like <laughs> that tells you that that sends a very powerful message to yourself. And so acting contrary to how you normally do in an intentional way towards your future self is one way. So obviously conceptualizing it, speaking it, but acting towards it, but then um, putting yourself in new environments, you know, being around new people um, is really big. But one of the mm -hmm. big ones that, I really love um, is investing money in your future identity. Like, you know, investing money is really powerful towards your future self. Um, when you do that, it's, 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 it's really powerful. So like there's a story that Zig Ziglar used to tell, you know, you've heard of Zig. Yeah, I have. He's, yeah. He's for, the, for, those guy, who have, for those who haven't, he's a big motivational. He was a big motivational speaker. I actually heard him talk once. Yeah. So he tells a story and maybe you've heard it, but it's, it really teaches the principle. You know, he, he tells the story of a guy named Tom Hartman, right? You've heard that story, Tom Hartman story. He's like the big overweight guy. He's like you 400 pounds. You know what? Pounds. I can only think of Mary Hartman when you say that. Yeah, That's so. funny. <laughs> uh, well, I'll just, tell the quick, I'll just tell the quick story. But basically, this was a really overweight guy. And he, uh -huh. he, he, he went to a Zig conference and he learned that his self-image or his identity was the thing that was shaping so much of who he was. You know, he was jobless, I think recently divorced, overweight, just not being the person he wanted to be. Right. Um, and so he, he, he then decided, you know, to start fueling his, a better self image. He did that through like listening to motivational stuff, but he also really thought about who he wanted to be. And then he started to make bold actions towards that. So he went to a suit shop and he went and he bought two heavily fitted suits, um, that were like not fitted for a 400 pound man, but for a skinny person. Wow. And the, 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 the person at the, the person at the, you know, the tailor or whatever at the suit shop said, you know, who are these suits for Mr. Hartman? And 
you know, Tom said they're for myself. <laughs> and so like he bought those suits and like that, you know, that level of investment, it really helps. You know, that was right. a power move. That was a bold action that really can shatter subconscious perspectives. Obviously, you've got to do that kind of stuff regularly, you know, right. investing money into your future self, acting towards your future self, talking, uh, journaling is a really good one. And just really getting, I mean, it's similar to the whole idea of affirmations, but it's a lot different. It's a more powerful. It's, it's speaking them and telling them and narrating them towards, you know, who you're ultimately planning to be. And uh, it's also another obvious one and a powerful one is removing or eliminating things that are keeping you on autopilot. You know what I mean? So if you're wanting to be healthy, you're like literally removing all of the stuff from your house. It's not like by throwing away elements of your former identity. Yeah. Um, like the Cheetos? It's, yeah. But I mean, even maybe things deeper than that, like thing, like maybe, you know, and I'm not saying you have to do this, but throwing away like old, old things that used to mean a lot to you that no longer, that won't mean that much to your future self, you know, like, uh, you know, like, like it could be like old pictures or it could be like, you know, old things that used to have a lot of significance to you, but honestly, now you're just holding on to them for who knows why, because of memory's sake or something like that. And so like Habit. by letting go of certain things or by removing certain things that used to mean a lot, you know, like you can be, you can let go of, of your former identity, you know? So there's just powerful things you can do. Um, wow. And I, I like the idea of doing things consistently, like on a daily yeah. basis, but I also like doing big things that like really send a shock to the system you know, like making a big investment in your future, like, you know, um, that kind of stuff can really shock the system and can really prove to yourself that you're, you're onto something and that you're moving forward. Like what they, what they find in economics and, and in psychology is that investment leads to commitment. And, mm -hmm. uh, it also leads to a sense of ownership. They call it the endowment effect, but you, you feel like a sense of ownership over the things that you've invested time and money and energy into. And so if you start investing time and money and energy into your future, you'll start to have this sense of ownership. And if you're actually narrating and telling people about who you want to be, and if you're making big steps and, and baby steps, uh, you, you can really update your subconscious. I mean, it's something that wow. we all need to do. I mean, it's literally what's required every time you set a new goal. Every time you set a new goal, you need to update the subconscious to match the goal. And so what I would say is, is that you want to invest at the level of your future self. And it's a, it's a constant ongoing process. I remember when I, w I was young once, and I had just gotten out of college. I was at a summer job. I hadn't gotten to a real job yet. And one of my coworkers said, I hope I never reach my goals. And I was like, what? And she said, well, I'll reach goals, but then I'll have a new one. And so if you, you know, if this was- I think that that's great. I think that, I think that goals should be means, not ends. I mean, they're checkpoints. And you build confidence exactly. every time you hit one, you know, but then you, from that perspective, have a higher level of confidence and perspective and situation. And so you can hopefully set better goals in the future. Yeah. You should, you should never reach a point where you're like, okay, I'm good where I'm at. Like that leads to a lot of mental decay and a loss of meaning. And right, you know, right. your goals don't always have to be what they were before. Like you could shift from financial goals to like family goals, but like the idea is that you're actually intentionally doing something that matters rather than just turning autopilot on full. <laughs> Right. And sometimes what I, I like to tell people is you, you, you set a, I'm a little bit different about goals. Well, you set a goal, but you, it doesn't mean you're necessarily going to get there. You might change your mind in, as you move towards it and you're, you're living your life and you become informed and you zig and you zag towards that goal. It informs you. And so you may say, you know what, I think I'm going to do something a little bit different or a lot different. 
Yeah, I think it's good to continue to be informed. Um, it is bad to consistently quit goals, though. Like, I, I think that it's good. It, it is, well, good, you know, it's good yeah. to, it's, it's good to, yeah, it's good to set them. And if you come to a quick realization, uh, that's not the right goal to just own that and be okay with it. But um, if, if you're someone who finds that you consistently stop halfway yeah, through, you know, right. then that, that's a real, a real killer to confidence. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, that I hadn't really um, thought about that in terms of someone hearing. But I don't think you you weren't what you were you weren't talking about it like you quit no, every no. goal. I, I think it's good to analyze, and sometimes you're right. You move forward, and you realize this is the wrong pursuit. And I think that that's yeah. actually healthy. I think it's healthy to question your current goals and your current pursuits and say, "Is this what I really want, or is this, or should I? Why did I choose this?" You know. Um, <laughs> Because your identity is based on your goals. Your identity is based on what you're pursuing, even if it's non-intentional. And so you want to think, who do I really want to become? Who am I striving to be? And so it's, it's good to question your current goals, and sometimes you should drop them. Um, but there is something powerful also about committing to things and making it through. Um, it really Absolutely. I mean, I guess if you, you're kind of rudderless, if you're not. I, I tend to be more process-oriented, but you, if you're not goal-oriented, then you are rudderless. I mean, if you don't have some kind of goal. You can't you be process oriented, though, if you don't have a goal. Where would the, what would the process be for if you don't have a goal? But, but I guess what I'm saying is I do have goals, but I focus more on, I mean, processes. Yeah, it's, it's good to focus on the process when you get there. But if you, but the process is always based on the goal. The goal is the context for the process. Um, ah. You know, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what process, what process would you choose if you have no goal? Um, and so the goal determines the process. Um, and that, that's why they say that deliberate practice, which is really intentional learning and transformational learning requires a goal. Uh, you, you know, like you can't deliberately learn something. So, you know, right. there's a lot of people, for example, who go to the gym and every single day they do the same workout over and over and they actually don't have a goal. They're just going to the gym and they're mm -hmm. not actually getting any better. They're just literally doing the same process over and over. And so unless you have a goal, then your process will, will not be effective. <laughs> and so you you know, you need to determine the result you want and then reverse engineer it and determine the process that will get you there. Um, but focusing on the process certainly matters because you need to update the process and evolve it so that it can actually produce the desired result. But you can't, you can't disconnect process and result because the process is for the result. Wow. So I, I, I just had some uh, light bulb moments go off, off with that. And, um, cause obviously, cause it's like, it's a, when you think about ends and means, they're, they're not two separate things, right? You need the ends to get to the means. Why would you do a means if it I mean, has means no end? means to get to the end, right. right. Yeah, there's no, it makes no sense to do a means. The word means means it's meaning, it's taking you somewhere. And right. so, you know, means can't exist without ends. And I think a lot of times what people do is, is they, they say that they're focused on the process, but what that actually means is that they're not committed to the outcome. Interesting. So I have to think about that because I, I definitely am committed to the outcome. And, and when you become committed to the outcome, your process will change. When you become fundamentally committed yeah. to the goal, then the process really right. develops into something useful and it, and the process changes and the process then has a purpose. Um, and, and, uh, the process adapts based on the results you get. So for example, if you're really committed to, to this thing, mm -hmm. 
that that will obviously shape what you do to get there but your your results along the way will also update your process it's like um, you know, if you're not actually getting better and it's clear, you're not getting closer to your goal, then you're going to have to update your process and right. change what you're doing. Uh, cause if you keep doing the same thing, you know, <laughs> and expect a different result, then that's called insanity according to Einstein. Yeah. I'm not sure he ever really said that, but it, 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 it is. We'll, we'll, we'll say, I will say Einstein's apocryphal quote. <laughs> that's fantastic. Well, um, do you want to have any closing remarks or do you want to go on? Because I think that would be. No, no, no. Just really love being with you. No, no, no. We're good. We're good. I would just really encourage and invite people to to buy and read Personalities and Permanent. It's it will it will blow your mind and it will change your life. I can say that this book uh, this book is the real deal. And I'm not just saying that because I wrote it like this book. There's a lot in here and it will help you. And not only that, but it'll just, you know, it will change your life. I can say that. Well, I, and I believe that. And I, like I said, I've just only in the early stages of reading it and I wish I could have read more, but this came up before I could digest no more of that. Still and, read it. Still read it. <laughs> oh, I'm definitely going to read it and, and take advantage of the classes that I, that I got as a result. So I just really want to thank you. Best of luck. I'm sure it's going to be a great success. And once I read it, I'll pop a review up on there. I guess you have to wait for it to be out for that to happen. Can you put reviews before a book is released? I'll find out. Awesome. Find out. So thank you so much. And if there's, uh, we'll just leave it there and then I'll. It's perfect. Many thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to see this podcast reach more people, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Well, that's all, folks. Until next time, when we meet again on the road, the road to empowerment.